for um, coming up to me and um, welcoming me back before service. And I'm so glad to be here. Um, would you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1? I'm really glad my daughter came with me. I try not to travel alone ever. I need company, uh, somebody to keep me awake when I'm driving, and I'm uh, thankful took time out of her schedule to come. I'm so glad she's here. It's good to see former students and maybe future students uh, from Urshan College. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1 and the first few verses. Let's read for our text. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. Uh, I want to focus on the first half of verse 2. God has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. The father has spoken by the son. Um, there's a, a little bit to unpack there. And I want to speak of the heavenly father and the heavenly son today. Heavenly father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful Sunday. Your goodness and mercy kindness to us. I pray that you would help me to teach and preach your word succinctly, concisely, and let it be true and edifying. And may you be glorified today in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. is a delight being a father as has been expressed a few times today. It's a delight. Um, and it's uh, at times frightening and intimidating, uh, especially when you're young, uh, when you first become a father. It happens again too when you become a grandfather because um, you're not quite sure how that word fits in front of your name. It doesn't really fit. It doesn't seem to. Um, it doesn't seem to uh, meet reality. Um, but it has been uh, the joy of, of my whole life. Um, without uh, looking back over my life, without being a father, I'm not really sure. Um, what good I've done. I, I, it's my greatest calling, my highest calling. It's been a blessing and an honor for God to give me three children, three grandchildren. Um, it is my identity. Um, and I'm so deeply thankful. I received this gift from, as I said, God. I received it from God. <laughs> And I believe 
and it seems to me uh, that God wanted to be a father too. Um, his desire to be a father uh, certainly um, gave rise to my desire to be a father. He put that in me uh, because it was in him first. A desire to be a father. A desire for a son, a child. Um, he made Adam. But before he made Adam, he made uh, the sons of God. Uh, in the Old Testament, this phrase, sons of God, refers almost exclusively to an angelic order, sons of God. <clears throat> they are mentioned in Genesis chapter 6. They are mentioned in Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2. They are referred to throughout the Old Testament, also Psalm 89. The sons of God, before there was ever an Adam, before there was ever a, a, a earthly creation, there were the sons of God who, on the day of creation, shouted together, sang together for glory at the uh, creation of the world. Um, a son of God or the sons of God are creations and yet they carry with them, they hold within them uh, something of the Father. There's something uh, almost divine about them, uh, angelic about them. They, are, they partake in some way in the character and the nature of God. And then God made Adam. And Adam was uh, made as fathers make sons in the image of God. Adam and Eve both in the image of God. Um, Adam and Eve uh, 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 were ambassadors or uh, they carried on the legacy of God here in creation. And then God called Israel and called Israel a son. Um, and if you look back over uh, this history, you'll see there's a little bit of a pattern, a troubling pattern. There's the sons of God, um, and some of them seem to have fallen into rebellion. And then there's Adam and he and, and Eve, and, and they both rebelled against God. And then Israel was called to be a son of God. Uh, according to Hebrews, or rather Hosea chapter 11 and 1. And Israel also uh, uh, fell and rebelled against God. So you have sons of God, Adam and Eve, Israel, and the threefold pattern right here, it rings true in each case. There's a fall and a rebellion of some kind. Um, and we read, though, in Hebrews chapter 1, in our text, uh, God at sundry times in diverse manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. We read, um, and now I, I had, when I was in Bible quizzing, any Bible quizzers, formal Bible quizzers in here? Um, when I was in Bible quizzing, we were tasked with memorizing the book of Hebrews. I think I might have been eight, seven, eight years old, something like that. And I, Hebrews is my favorite book because it mentioned divers. I didn't know what divers meant. It was D-I-V-E-R-S, divers. I was imagining scuba divers. And that's not at all, as it turns out, what in the world this means. Um, 
but I read it as my text and I keep on quoting from the King James Version in spite of the very difficult nature of, of interpreting it, but I want to unpack it. In diverse ways, God has spoken or spoke to the fathers at many different points in history and at many, in many different ways he spoke to the fathers, that is, uh, the patriarchs, going all the way back to Adam. Sometimes God spoke through a prophet, uh, a human vessel uh, that was limited, finite, uh, and perhaps flawed. Um, sometimes God spoke through a flood. Sometimes God spoke through a rainbow. Sometimes God spoke through a donkey. God spoke in times past in diverse ways. Uh, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork, according to Psalm chapter 19. <clears throat> every morning, every morning, Jeremiah said, God speaks to of us of his faithfulness. The sun rises and sets, the sun rises and sun rises and sun rises. Every day it is a reminder of God's faithfulness. God has spoken in diverse ways in times past. Uh, but typically, God's uh, communication with uh, his people has been, uh, symbolically speaking, from the top of Mount Sinai. He speaks as a father to his children. Uh, you remember your father, no doubt, when you were a child, you, you saw him. Uh, he, he was no less than eight feet tall. Um, and he could do just about anything. Um, when God's, or when dad said something, it was true. Uh, when dad said that this is the way things are, that's the way things were, uh, you may remember that. Um, uh, in other words, it's a voice of authority. God spoke from the top of Sinai, thou shalt and thou shalt not. Obey and live. Disobey and suffer the consequences of disobedience. Um, it was a, a fatherly voice that spoke. Um, and sometimes uh, God, as, as becomes very clear in the Bible, and particularly in the book of Hebrews, God, as a father, would sometimes chasten his children, the people he loves. He makes sure that he disciplines them so that they don't just become anything. Uh, but rather that they are guided, they are incentivized to become better. Uh, that is God's fatherly way. Um, but uh, the book of Hebrews is drawing a contrast between the way God used to speak, but the way God speaks now since Calvary. All right, so at one point in time, he spoke this way. From the top of Mount Sinai, he thundered. He spoke as a voice of authority. Do this, don't do that. But then God changed his medium. That is, the, the uh, instrument of his voice changed. It was no longer a prophet thundering from the top of a hill, no longer God's voice thundering in the stone that Moses' tablet bore. It was no longer in a flood, uh, no longer in the parting of a Red Sea, but now, in these last days, and the word last days or phrase last phrase days is 
uh, one word in Greek, eschaton, uh, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Now, if you have a print Bible, you, you may notice that the word before son is italicized. It's italicized. Um, uh, it may not be true in some of the more contemporary uh, editions, but if you have an older edition of the Bible, the tradition was to italicize any word in English that is not supplied in the language it's translated from. So there's no word in Greek that goes before son. It simply says, God in these last days has spoken to us by son. By son. <clears throat> in, in Greek, um, the, the language is different. It's uh, just linguistically profoundly different. Um, and uh, in order to smooth out the translation, to help us understand in English, again, sometimes a word is supplied, but then usually the translator puts an italic there. It's not for emphasis. It's not for emphasis. It is rather to suggest that this was a word used in order to try to smooth out the translation so you can understand in English, but it's not there in Greek. All right, now, again, I want to read, to read it to you. It's really, this is one of those unfortunate instances in which trying to uh, enhance the readability of the English text, we've actually lost something really, really valuable in terms of meaning. Now, hear this. In these last days, God has spoken to us by son. All right, in the Greek language... Whenever you have a noun that is preceded with no article, but preceded immediately by a preposition, I'm sorry for the, this grammar lesson right here. It'll get, it'll get better. It'll get better. Just, but give me a moment, all right? Be patient with me. Um, it, it, anytime in Greek you have a preposition and then a noun and no intervening article, like unto us by by his son or by the son. Whenever you just have preposition and then noun, it changes the meaning of the noun. And the noun, now you need to add the letters N-E-S-S to the end in English to understand it what was trying to be conveyed or what the author is trying to convey in English. So here's literally what happens in the original text when you read this. In these last days, God has spoken to us by sonness. Sonness. You need to add the N-E-S-S because um, the, there's a lack of an article before the noun. And uh, this conveys the idea of essence, of quality. Whenever you talk about deepness or blackness or righteousness, you're talking about the quality of being right, the quality of depth, the quality, the high, uh, his, we're talking about a king, his highness. All right, it's a quality. So one more time, in these last days, God has spoken to us by sonness. If you, if you hear that, you say, I don't get it though. I understand highness, I understand deepness, but I don't quite understand sonness. Well, welcome to the club. And that's why the translator supplied the word. 
and didn't put sunness in there for you. It just doesn't make sense in English. It's very difficult. But here's the basic idea. At one time, God spoke from the top of the, of the mountains. He spoke as a father figure. But in these last days, something has changed. God changed the medium through which he spoke. This is now his ultimate self-revelation. Before, it might be a prophet, but it's a long leap from a prophet to God. Even the power and the presence of the thunder and the lightning on top of Sinai cannot quite convey the majesty and the awesomeness of God. It also cannot quite convey the tenderness and compassion of God. So in these last days, God changed the way he spoke. And through Calvary, he spoke to us by sunness. By sunness. Um, the basic idea is... Uh, it was difficult for God to convey certain things as a father. And so he conveyed or wanted to communicate to us as a son relating to the father. And so in the book of Hebrews, you get all of these passages of scripture that speak of Jesus' earthly life, which is really unusual in the New Testament. Only Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and of the first chapter or so of Acts will mention anything about Jesus' life before Calvary. Paul never mentions a single thing that Jesus did before Calvary, ever, in any of his letters. Neither does James, neither does Jude, neither does 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, neither does Revelation. Only here in the book of Hebrews do we get references to something that Jesus did before Calvary. And so you'll get, for instance, in chapter 5 and 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. In other words, this is a reference to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cried out, not my will, but thy will be done. Hebrews chapter 2, or rather chapter 12 Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility himself against sinner or from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. Chapter 10. When he comes into the world... When Jesus came into the world, he said, and he's going to cry, cry out, um, uh, so to speak, uh, in the language of the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 40. This is what the Christ says as he's being born. Uh, maybe that's figuratively speaking. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And so what we get all through the book of Hebrews are these examples of Jesus being obedient to the will of the Father. You see, again, Israel was called to be a son, but it disobeyed God over and over and over again, rejected his fatherhood. Adam and Eve 
They disobeyed God and rejected his fatherhood. The sons of God that fell, they rejected God's fatherhood and they fell into rebellion. But here Jesus, from his birth, when he's coming into the world and says, a body have you prepared for me, I've come to do your will, all the way to his death when he's crying, not my will but thy will be done in the Garden of Gethsemane, from birth to death, Jesus was obedient every single step of the way. No exceptions. And what it turns out is happening is uh, the author of Hebrews trying to show us that God taught us how to be a son of God by becoming a son himself and relating to God as a father. This is how you relate to the father. This is how to be a son of God. And so you get in chapter uh, in chapter 2, uh, the author of Hebrews says, It became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. In other words, God became a son so that he could lead many sons to glory. Here's the, the idea is, when you're looking at Jesus, you're getting a window into the heart of God. You're getting to see a different side of God, a side that has never been really revealed before. Here's what I mean. I didn't understand any of this until I was in my uh, early 30s, and I, it took looking back upon something that happened earlier in my life, and it, there was an epiphany. All right, uh, my, my grandfather was dying. He only had a day or two left to live, in fact. And uh, dad and all of his seven siblings, we all met together in the St. Louis, Missouri area where grandpa was. And it was actually Father's Day. It's Father's Day 1999, just a few days before my son was to be born. Uh, Carter, who came with me last time. Uh, we all went to the house, and Grandpa had to be covered by m lots and lots of blankets in the middle of summer, and he had to be in a room that was heated. Uh, he, this was a man that was six foot two, six foot three, 210 pounds of muscle, um, a, a, a strong and strapping man that had been reduced to about 85 pounds. Um, he had lost all muscle mass. Cancer had completely eaten his body. And um, now I'm going with my dad to visit Grandpa and say goodbye to him. My dad is a really, really good man, and I honor him this morning. Um, but Dad is not the kind of guy who will um, say something like, I love you while he's looking you in the eyes to one of his kids. He shows us that he loves us in many other ways, uh, but it's very difficult for him to say a lot of things. Um, whenever I remember he, he would come out and watch me play baseball, and I would hit, I would hit a home run, and, and he'd say, well, uh, next time I think you need to you know, take that pitch the other way. Uh, uh, you probably could get a little bit more mileage out of that. And then next time I'm up, 
you know, hit the ball maybe 40, 50 feet over the fence. I said, How's that, Dad? He said, well, I, I actually think you, you should have hit the pitch before that. You laid off that. You shouldn't have done that. You know, that's, that's Dad. And, and to this day, he's never, he's never said, man, Jeremy, that was a great message you preached. Never once has he ever said that. No, no, that's just not the way Dad operates. Um, he's, always in, he's always in father mode. He wants me to be better. Um, and, and I don't say that bitterly. I say that with absolute tenderness. I'm thankful. Uh, he's pushed me. Um, so I never, I never saw him one time break down in front of me. The only time I ever saw him cry was once when he was preaching. That's it. That's the only time. And so I'm in my mid-20s. My uh, second child is about to be born. And I've never seen my dad kind of like, I guess you would call vulnerable and sentimental and soft. Never saw that side. But here we are about to walk into his father's house. And I walked into the room where grandpa was. And I heard grandpa say, hey, Terry Lee. It was a voice as if from beyond the grave. And he reached out with his last strength to, to hold dad's hand. Blue purple cords wrapped around those old gnarled hands. Cold and trembling. And dad had never seen his dad like this. We hadn't seen him in some time and we certainly hadn't seen him since cancer had taken his body just a shell of the man that he had been. He once thundered from the top of Sinai, and now something had happened. And Dad walked into the room, and he's holding now Grandpa's hands. And he bent down, and he kissed Grandpa's forehead, And then he took a, a, a little towel and he started wiping the sides of his face. And he began to sob. Weep almost uncontrollably. And, and, and I'd never seen dad like this before. I was standing back, I'm not sure what, who has changed more, grandpa or dad. And, and dad was completely overwhelmed, overcome by grief and sorrow. All the years that had passed, and all the separation and all of the problems and all of the memories. And now, for grandpa, life was over and there was no more chance to be father and son now. And I got I got it vision. I'll never, never forget that. I saw that. I saw it. It comes back on Father days, Father's Days, and I, 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 I rehearse it in my mind. I see it over and over again, and it wasn't until many years later, I was reading the book of Proverbs chapter 4, and all of a sudden, I remembered something that, uh, something, this, something that had happened on Father's Day. King Solomon is teaching his sons how to be kings, when they grow up. And this is what he says. Listen to how he puts it. Listen, children, to a father's instruction 
and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. And then listen to this line right here. It's an epiphany. When I was a son with my father, tender and my mother's favorite, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. And instantly, I understood what that Father's Day meant in 1999, that vision that I held on to of my father. All of a sudden, here it was. Why that vision was so poignant to me, and I'll never forget it, and what is happening here in the book of Proverbs is the Solomon is saying, I can't just teach my son how to be a king as a father to a son, I need to show him, I need to help him visualize and see that I was once a son listening to my father. And so he positions himself in his son's imagination as a son listening to his father because that's how he's going to teach his son how to listen to his father. And then my mind immediately went to Hebrews chapter 1, which I never understood. I, I have known for a long time the Greek text underneath that, but I never understood the significance. And then it all came together right there. There it is. God could not really teach us who he was from the top of Sinai or in the mouth of a prophet. He couldn't really teach us who he was when he was just giving us instructions as a father to a son. But we really got to see who God was when he became a son. And we got to see him relating to his father. And I knew, as I looked back upon that vision of my father, I, I understood, I've seen my father now completely. For the first time in my life, I now know who my father is. I saw him as a son to his father. I saw how he treated his father. I saw how he loved his father. I saw how significant that relationship was, how valuable and how precious it was. And that at the end of our lives, more than likely, it will be, it'll be our children all the friends, all the achievements, all the status fades away and it's father and son. The idea here is we really don't see God in his fullness until we see Jesus. There's this phrase that we sometimes use in preaching and teaching. It's the phrase, God robed himself in flesh and became a man. And that phrase really agitates me. It really, really agitates. I get more agitated by it as we go on. And I shouldn't really be agitated by it. It's just a poetic expression. But here's why I get agitated at it. The idea, the word robed is a funny word choice for me for what the incarnation is. It's putting on something that is not, it, 
it, it, it, it's, it's a covering. It's a, a robing is, is a covering. But the scripture's own language about the incarnation is not that the humanity of Jesus was the covering over God's nature. Rather, the word that Paul chooses is that God was manifest in the flesh. Not robed in flesh, manifest. Not covered in flesh, manifest in flesh. And it's a profound difference. In other words, the flesh of God was not there to disguise the nature of God, but rather to reveal the nature of God. It was not, it was not a disguise over God. It was a window into God's heart. And so the, the disciples say, towards the end of Jesus' earthly life, they say, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. That's uh, the disciple Philip. And Jesus says, Have I not been with you so long and you do not know? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he goes through a crowd of people. and He's very popular and people are wanting his attention. And then a couple of children come by and they want his attention too. And the disciples shoo them away because... He's much too important to take time with children. But Jesus takes them up in his arms and he says, Suffer it to be so. Don't forbid the children to come to me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And, 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 and the disciples say, Show us the Father. And, and that's what Jesus does to show you the Father. He takes up children in his hands. The disciples say, show us the Father. And so Jesus says, okay. And he goes, he goes to the blind man, and he touches the blind man, and the blind man is healed. He's shown you the Father. But the disciples still say, show us the Father. And Jesus, he sees a leper, somebody who hasn't been touched by human hands probably for years. Because the, the idea is if you touch them, you'll contract that disease, and so they are... <laughs> quartered in a certain part of town. They don't have any human contact. You're not to touch them because, again, there might be a disease, a contagion that, draw, that, that comes from them, but also you become spiritually unclean too. So they haven't had any kind of human contact. And then, and then Jesus comes by and he, he, he intentionally, he, does it. he could have just spoken the word. He could have just said, be clean. And he wouldn't have offended anybody. But no, show us the Father. And the Father and Jesus reaches out and touches the leper. The disciples say, show us the Father. And Jesus says, okay. And he picks up a cross and carries it to the top of the hill. And he wears a crown of thorns and they say, show us the Father. And then he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's showing you that's your father. The father you could have only seen when he was a son. Um, great and merciful God that has been revealed to us in Christ. And I sometimes, when I think about this, when I think about what we have, this inheritance of the gospel that we've been given, 
I don't hardly know how that can be made into something boring. I don't know how that can have all the life sucked out of it. But I'm telling you, it's the greatest thing in the world. If this is true about God, the one who made us, if Jesus is truly the Father manifest in the flesh, your lives are made. You've made it. Everything's going to be just fine. Forever and ever and ever and ever. If the universe is truly ruled by a God like Jesus, Oh, great heavenly Father. No wonder Jesus taught us how to pray. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth. Father who art in heaven. No wonder Jesus cried, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. What a great Father you have. I'll say just this last. Uh, boy. Dad, you're here this morning. Great job. You're here and you've been faithful. Uh, keep on being faithful day after day. Because you, you know what your kids are seeing? They're seeing you be a son to the Heavenly Father. And that's powerful. When your boy or your girl see you lifting your eyes to the Lord in prayer, and they see you don't have all the answers, but you know the one who does. They're seeing a side of you that they can only ever see when you, when you are a son to the heavenly father. And that's a powerful, powerful teaching. It's a powerful teaching. Amen. Would you stand with me? Before the music plays, I'm, I'm, calling a little bit of an audible right, right here. I, I don't usually do this, but I've had this song uh, ever since uh, yesterday morning uh, over and over in my head on a loop. And maybe by singing it, I'll cure it um, uh, so I won't have it on my head, in my head so much, but it's really on my heart and maybe on yours too and it's certainly appropriate. Sing with me. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. I love you. I adore you. I bow down. Before you, Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Sing it again. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Yes, I do. 
Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. I love you. I adore you. I bow down before you. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Would you come to the altar this morning before you go home? Express your appreciation for your Heavenly Father. Call out to Him. Cry out to Him this morning. Call upon His name. His name is Jesus. Jesus, thank you for this example. I have seen you in your ultimate self-revelation. I've seen you as a son. You have spoken to us by sonness. We now know who you are. We now know how much you love us. Jesus, Jesus, bless your children this morning with a vision of your love for them. Praise God, praise God. Let's pray.